So it's time for us to get started. And this is the other part that I come to the conferences for, is doing what you're doing, is sitting in the audience. Um, <laughs> so I'm going to go do that after this, but for now, here we are, and I'm really looking forward to sharing this with you. I hope it's helpful. Uh, let's get started with a word of prayer. <clears throat> Father in heaven, thank you so much for the opportunity to be here at, at Agra. Um, not just that we can be here in, in the conference, um, not just at this conference, um, not even just at, at uh, this presentation, but Lord, thank you that we can be together. Thank you that we can be a part of this amazing movement that you have raised up of people to share, to share what it is that you want the world to know. And Lord, may we always, may I always, even as a presenter about gardening topics, may we always remember the context of where this all fits in to sharing the last message of mercy with the dying world. And we're grateful for these things that you have revealed to us so that we can know you better, live closer to you. And give me wisdom to speak and present. May your spirit be present with each of us here. And we're grateful, Lord, that we can offer our gratitude and ask for these gifts. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, so just out of curiosity, by a show of hands, how many of you actually had a pretty good idea what this topic was about when you saw the title? <laughs> okay. <laughs> I thought it was incredibly witty when I made the title, but I didn't realize how unclear it could seem. So, beating the botanical besiegement. This is weed management methods, weed management options for the home garden. Okay? So, besiegement is like, you know, when they're, like when Babylon came to take Jerusalem, right? And the Assyrians came, they besieged the city. Yeah. <laughs> so, that, I thought it was cute, but, um, and botanical, right? Uh, plants. Right? Fantastic. Okay, I got two of you. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so here we are. Uh, weed management options for the home garden. My name is Daniel Nichols. I'll face this way. My name is Daniel Nichols. I am the agriculture director at Holbrook Indian School. Uh, there you go. Great. Fantastic. Welcome. <laughs> um, we are a Seventh-day Adventist academy, uh, boarding academy, and, and elementary school for Native American students in Holbrook, Arizona. Uh, we do first through 12th grade boarding. So yes, we even have you know, second and third graders in our dorms, unfortunately, but we're grateful to have them there. And we have a farm and gardening classes for the students, so that is what I do. I manage the farm, teach the gardening classes. All right. Uh, so today we're going to be talking about something I haven't done for a while, which is home gardening, which is awesome. I'm super excited you're all here. I'm very curious um, 
how many of us are currently gardening? Amazing. All right. That's, that's, a, that's a slim majority. Excellent. How many of us are planning to garden starting this spring? Excellent. 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 Okay. Very good. Um, and of those of us that are planning to start gardening, how many of you have gardened before? Okay, great. So some, of, some, some brand new gardeners here then. Yes. Yes. Okay, great. Okay, so for the brand new gardeners, I will, my goal here is to present as much information as I can at a pace and in a manner that is as digestible as possible. I realize being at this conference at all is like trying to drink from a garden hose, as, or excuse me, trying to drink from a fire hose, as far as assimilating information goes, okay? So, um, I, don't, I didn't make a handout. I am intending to get my PowerPoint to the proper people so that it will be available again. Um, I am also intending to direct you toward additional resources that will help you moving forward. All right. All right. So beating the botanical besiegement. Uh, as uh, my background, I started in home gardening, by the way, started doing some home gardening, but I immediately went to market garden size stuff. Um, as soon as I discovered how amazing gardening was, I immediately went big scale with everything I was doing because <laughs> this is awesome. So I have experience on the home gardening level. But a lot of what I'm going to be speaking to you about from is coming from the market gardening perspective, but as it applies to what you're trying to do. Okay. So uh, the thing with home gardening is there are many different ways that you could go about it. Um, even market gardening, there's a lot of different ways you can go about it, but things have become pretty standardized in the market gardening world because of the availability of certain tools and and things that fit into uh, a pretty standard system, right? You have, you have raised beds, permanent, permanent in-ground raised beds, 30-inch bed tops. I apologize if this is just sounding like word soup to you. Um, so things have become very standardized in the market gardening world. So a lot of the tools have, have become the same that most market gardeners are using. And those tools have now transferred into the home gardening world. When they really started in the home gardening world, but then they became kind of a standard tool, some of their ways they got used and ways they were produced changed, and now they've come back into home gardening as market gardening tools that are applicable to what you're doing. So that's the perspective I'll be speaking from. It all applies, and you're not really going to find much that's different. What is different is that in home gardening, you have a lot of options that we don't, okay? Uh, you have different ways you can make your beds. You can build your beds in those big stout galvanized steel tubs, right? You've got a raised bed um, that's, that's, you know, just below hip height here. That's, you know, super convenient, right? Imagine trying to make, you know, a quarter acre of those, right? That's where we get away from that type of thing in the market gardening world. But the, the way that you're going to weed that, um, there are still tools that are going to be usable for you, okay? That that are going to make that weeding that as quick and easy as possible. So that's what we're going to talk about here. All right. So first, before we talk about weed management, we need to know what is a weed. So what is a weed? 
I'm, by the way, I'm not giving you, I, I am going to give you, I'm going to give you the Webster's Dictionary definition here of a weed. This is one of them, okay? A weed is a wild plant growing where it is not wanted and in competition with cultivated plants, right? So, um, and I, I do this with my students all the time. I'll, we'll go down the, the bed that has a bunch of kale in it, right? So here's all the kale. And then I've got a volunteer, uh, I've got a volunteer lettuce in the kale bed, okay? So I point at students, I'll point at that lettuce and I'll say, is this a weed? And some of them, they're not really sure. Like, is that a weed? I don't know. In gardening, we call it a volunteer, right? But it's a weed. By definition, it is not where it is wanted, and it is in competition with the crop that we actually planted. Okay? Now, as a home gardener, you get to decide if you want to leave volunteers there or not. Okay? But if it's a desirable plant, we often, oh, that's not a weed. Okay, well, let's talk about desirable edible plants. How about lamb's quarters? Okay, how about amaranth? Okay, also known as pigweed. Okay, amaranth is a very vigorous, fast-growing plant. It will easily outcompete any crop you have. Now, if you like to eat amaranth, you know, if you like elites, if you like to eat that wild herb stuff, amaranth is delicious. I can tell you amaranth is a very tasty crop, and if you want to leave it there, by all means but call it what it is. It is a weed. Okay? You did not plant it. If you planted it, it is no longer a weed. If you didn't plant it and it's amongst your plants, by definition, it is a weed. Um, but a weed does not have to be undesirable. Here's, here's my definition of, a plant, of a, what a weed is. Okay? A weed is a plant that's in the wrong place. Just any plant that's in the wrong place. Some are desirable, some are not. Right? I don't care where you put it, Silver nightshade, silver leaf nightshade, I just, I think it shouldn't even exist, okay? But in the natural world, there's actually a reason for silver leaf nightshade to exist, and we'll get into a little bit of that. Um, Things like morning glory, almost impossible to eradicate, but there's a reason that that actually has a function in nature. So once it's in your garden, now it's in the wrong place because it's in competition with the weeds that you planted, okay? So we're working from that definition, a plant that's in the wrong place. All right, so why are weeds a problem? We already talked about one. They compete with garden plants for resources, okay? So how many of us have children? Pets? Okay, all right. So imagine you've got a cat, okay? I have a cat, and uh, his food bowl is outside. So I have a set amount of food that I put in his food bowl every day. Okay, so I go out and I put food in his bowl every day. Okay, my cat Guapo comes and eats. That's his name, Guapo. He comes and eats from that bowl, and he says, okay, thank you, meow, very much. See ya. But then one day, another cat comes and starts eating out of his bowl, but I continue putting the same amount of food in his bowl. Is Guapo going to be getting enough food? Okay, so is the solution to start putting more food in the bowl? If I only want to feed my cat. Okay, what's that other cat going to do? Keep eating the food, right? Okay, and if that cat, let's, my cat is actually, he's a pretty good size. He's a Maine Coon mix, so this probably wouldn't happen. But let's just say this other cat was just a lot more vigorous and bigger and, and ended up actually getting to where no matter how much food I put in that bowl, the other cat was always eating it, and my cat was just getting the scraps that were left over. 
That's what you're going to encounter with weeds. Okay? You have a fixed amount of food that you're putting in the soil. You're not going to starve those weeds out. One of the reasons weeds are weeds is because they outcompete the plants that we're trying to plant in almost every case. Okay, so they're very vigorous growers, and they are going to compete for resources. And I'm not talking about fertilizer and nutrients. They're going to start competing for light. They're going to try to get taller and make a canopy and cover your plants and get all the light that they can. To plants, light is a resource. Water is a resource. They're going to take water from your plants in the soil. That water level, the amount of moisture in the soil is going to drop more rapidly because those plants are, those weeds are taking water from your plants. Okay, so any resource that a plant needs, a weed is going to take it. All right. And then another thing you're going to run into is possibilities for crop contamination. So if you're growing uh, baby spinach, right, you plant a little patch of spinach, okay, and you have some grass, some crabgrass growing in your spinach. One of the ways that you harvest spinach when you're doing it as a baby leaf is you're going to grab a little handful of it and run a, a serrated knife and then, you know, put it in a you know, bowl or, or a harvest basket. And you're going to take little clumps of spinach that way. You're just going to, you know, clear cut it, right? So imagine you're eating your salad now and all of a sudden you're flossing and you can't figure out why. And then you pull out some crabgrass, okay? That's crop contamination. Crabgrass made its way into your crop because it was there when you harvested it. This is a bigger problem with hay production, right? There's certain weeds that can actually be toxic to animals, so you want to make sure that's not in your hay. But from the home gardening perspective, this is what you're mostly going to be looking at as a possibility for crop contamination. Now, let's say you are trying to grow, you're saving your seeds, okay? And there's some weeds, like you're saving lettuce seeds, okay? And uh, you, so you have to let your lettuce bolt, okay? You have to let your lettuce go to seed. Your lettuce is going to make flowers. Those flowers are going to make seeds. Now, growing amongst your lettuce, you had some type of a wild radish, right? And it makes similar flower stalks, similar enough looking flowers. Now, wild radish is probably not a great example for lettuce, but uh, let's go there anyway. Let's say one managed to sneak in and you didn't notice the flower that looked a little different. Now, when you take all those blossoms and you save the seeds, and you're also going to notice wild radish seed. It's very easy to spot in the lettuce. So this is a horrible example. I'm sorry. Um, but let's follow the idea at least. Now you've got wild radish seed mixed in with your lettuce seed. So now you want to plant lettuce. You have to separate out the seed. Now let's say you are saving broccoli. Broccoli seed or kale seed or something that actually does look exactly like wild radish. Now you're trying to plant kale or broccoli or cauliflower. And what you have instead is some kale and broccoli and some wild radish because you can't distinguish those seeds from each other. So crop contamination is going to where That's where you're going to run into it in a home gardening sense is, you know, baby greens. OK, you just pick out the grass. It's annoying, but you can't tell the difference between a wild radish seed and a broccoli seed. Right. Even the flowers look the same and it can very easily sneak in there because it's you know, it's later in the summer, 
uh, you're letting things go to seed, you just see a flower, they go, oh yeah, there you go, that's what we want, we want to see those flowers, right? So that's what we're talking about with possibilities for crop contamination. Okay, common characteristics of what we're going to call problem weeds. Okay, this is why, uh, so let's say, you know, let's go back to the lamb's quarters. Lamb's quarters is not really that noxious of a weed. First of all, it's edible. It's not toxic. Okay, um, it's fairly vigorous, but it's not going to, like, I've never heard anybody really complain about having lamb's quarters in their garden. Okay, it can be a little bit a problem, but it's not really a problem. What we're talking about are things that are very fast growing. Okay, things that are easily going to outcompete with your garden crops. Things like I was talking about amaranth. Okay, sure, it's edible, but if you leave some amaranth there in one of your beds, it's going to get four feet tall, and it's going to get huge. And then when the seeds do come, they, they're, they're thorny, they stick to you, they cause a little rash on your skin, they're just obnoxious. Okay, it's going to get huge and easily outcompete. Um, and also morning glory. That's a horrible weed. Everybody hates it. It's going to grow up and wrap around and use your plants as a trellis. And you could, you, I've seen what was supposed to be a row of bush beans that was just a canopy of morning glory. Okay. You could see bean leaves sticking out, but that was it. Um, did you have a question? So here's the thing. I'm going to ask you to, to hold questions for the end. Was it a question? Okay. Do you think you'll be able to remember it at the end? Okay, fantastic. So we're, uh, I didn't say that, so that's a good, good reminder. Thank you for reminding me. As I'm going to ask you to hold questions uh, for the end. I am going to give you a good 10 or 15 minute question and answer time at the end, all right? Okay, so fast growing. Here's another thing. They're often prolific. Prolific means they reproduce a lot, okay? Uh, weeds that are really a problem are going to make thousands of seeds. If you let one plant go to seed, you are going to be dealing with that plant for that weed in that area often for as long as seven years or more. One plant going to seed, never going away. Even if you don't let it go to seed, it's still continually coming back, right? <laughs> So the reason it's such a problem, those plants can be such a problem, is because they are so prolific. If you do let it go to seed at all, you're dealing with it for life. Um, they produce in the thousands. They're often very hard to kill. Um, this, some weed, not all weeds are hard to kill. Amaranth and lamb's quarters are very easy to kill. Morning glory is almost impossible. Crabgrass, extremely difficult to kill. Okay. Uh, nut grass or cocoa grass, depending on what you call it, extremely difficult to kill. Uh, and some of the worst weeds travel. So even if you didn't have it in your garden before, all it takes is one windstorm. And if where I live in the Southwest, a tumbleweed rolls through your garden, I'm sorry, you just got seeds <laughs> and there's not much you can do about it. Um, some of them travel uh, in some ways you, you couldn't imagine. So, I mean, animals can transport this stuff. Uh, weeds blow on the wind. I mean, dandelions, dandelions are a thing. Um, so here's something to also remember. Weed management is a system. It's a system. It's not an activity. Okay. 
Notice, again, we actually call it weed management, right? Do we call it weed, weed total eradication? Weed, like, completely elimination? Weed termination? Like, it is weed management. So here's, here's a spiritual lesson that we find in the garden. Who planted the weeds? Well, yeah, in the peril of the wheat and tares, an enemy planted them, right? But in your garden, in your garden... Who planted the weeds? Did you plant weeds? No. Did, 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 as in the parable, did somebody actually come and put those seeds in the ground in your garden? They were just there, right? Mm-hmm. They were already part of the natural system that you were given to work with. Okay, so just like us in the soil of our hearts, the weeds are already there. Okay? The weeds are already there. The weeds, the, 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 the worries and cares of this life that spring up and choke the good seed, they're already there, okay? Now, by God's grace, those weeds in our hearts can be managed. They can be kept at bay as we surrender to him and allow the kingdom and uh, God and his right... Uh, sorry. The kingdom... Seek ye first the kingdom and his righteousness and all these things, right? So, it's like mixing up scriptures and getting confused there. It's a really easy one to remember, but still. Okay, so the weeds are already in your garden. That parable applies. The worries and cares of this life, that applies now to your garden. The weeds were already there. And you're never going to get completely rid of them, at least in your garden. Now, by God's grace, I do believe we can overcome and there's a calling on the last generation. Separate theological discussion there. In your garden, you're never getting rid of the weed seeds. What you can do is manage them to the point that they're hardly even noticeable. And there are activities, there's things that you can do, and that's why I call it a system. This is not something you go and do once. So again, spiritual essence still applies. You don't just go out and weed the garden and you're done. You need to continually manage these things just as you have to continually be aware of your own propensities and desires, you need to continually go out to the garden and manage them. But if you keep that up consistently, it will actually feel as though you don't have weeds anymore. And from a practical perspective, you essentially will not have weeds anymore. So that's where that parallel actually comes back to the spiritual. Okay? So weed management is a system. It's not an activity. It's something you need to systematically undertake. Okay? It's multi-layered. It's not just going out and pulling weeds. There are actually stacks, layers of, of parts of this system that will make it the most effective. So let's start talking about what those are. Okay? Here are your options. So we categorize them in the industry. We talk about mechanical, chemical, cultural, preventative, and biological weed management. I will go over all of these. I will spend the most time on mechanical. And there's a bonus that nobody's quite sure where to put it, and that is fire. Okay, nobody's really sure where flame weeding goes in this system here because it's not quite mechanical but it's not quite chemical it's just uh, becoming its own category 
Okay, but the difference between that is that like fire weeding, like flame weeding, is just flame weeding. Whereas like mechanical is talking about a whole series of different ways that you can weed. Same with all of these others. They're, they're all a whole category. Fire weeding, flame weeding is just its own thing. And I will tell you a little about it. Okay, so mechanical. Mechanical weed management is anything that involves the use of tools or hands to cut, dislodge, remove, or otherwise kill weeds. Okay? Now, again, this is, uh, when I say kill, I shouldn't have even written that. Um, manage. We're talking about managing the weeds. Often, most of these kill, but actually if you mow, that is considered a method of weed management. Okay? So, like, if you go out to the pasture, you know, I, uh, we have a horse pasture, and um, through a series of circumstances, it's currently mostly just a seven-acre paddock because uh, they used to have grass to graze on and everything. And one of the ways that we kept the silver, ni silver leaf nightshade, at uh, silver leaf nightshade, I get excited and I can't talk, at bay was by mowing it, right? The grass comes back very quickly from getting mowed. The silver leaf nightshade struggles for a couple days after it gets mowed, right? So mowing can be a method of weed management. So I should have written manage instead of kill, but this, this is often what we're trying to do in the home garden, okay? Any method that involves the use of tools or hands to cut, dislodge, remove, or otherwise kill weeds. Here are some common mechanical weed management tools. A garden hoe. I have a couple of examples up here. I'll show you in a minute. And tilling. Tilling can be a method of, method of weed management. It can also be a method of weed spreading, <laughs> depending on the weed. Okay, so particularly morning glory, the one I keep, like, that's just the bane of many people's existence. If you have a big, like, patch of morning glory and you're like, oh, you know what, I'm just going to till it under, you know, it'll, you know what you just did? <laughs> you just spread that patch out a little bit, right? And it'll grow, it'll just, it just, uh, it's like the hydra, right? Cut off a head to come back. Cut off a head to come back. There's just no way mechanically to eradicate uh, uh, morning glory. That's where you have to start getting into a word that we don't like to hear, but it actually, chemical weed management is something that we're going to talk about and all the stigma, but get past the stigma and we'll talk about chemical weed management. Okay, so garden hose. Here's some types of garden hose. This is what's called a stirrup hoe. It can also be called a hoop hoe, hula hoe, I don't even know, action, double action hoe, there, it, I, I can think of at least five names, okay? It's most often called a, well, traditionally, classically called a stirrup hoe because riding horses, huh? stirrup, that's where the name came from, okay? That is a stirrup hoe. Here's a quick video on using a stirrup hoe if it'll load. Is it going to load? There we go. Oh, it wasn't supposed to start there. All right. There you go. Okay, so 
Notice a couple things that make the stirrup hoe really awesome. Was he doing this? No. no. Back saving. Long-handled tools. Long-handled tools. If you don't have those really nice, like, high-raised beds, you know, um, if you're working at ground level or remotely close to ground level, long-handled tools. I can use this, and, and we, I use this to, to weed two acres of field crops. Okay, so these are extremely effective tools on large and small scales. Um, they come in different widths. This is a seven inch. You can get them down to about three inches. Um, and I've also seen them as wide as 10. Okay. Um, and it works both directions. Okay, so I can, get, I can use my arms both ways. Exactly, yeah. And I can also, I can go down as he was doing, I can go down a row, just just right down a row. I've, I, have, I have actually, if you, you reverse your grip here, and I have just walked with it before, going down an entire row. So that's more of a market gardening thing, but if you're looking at a, at a bed, if you're really careful with this, you get a nice little narrow one, you can stand over your three foot by, you know, however long your, your raised beds are, and you can just work your way around all the plants, just like this, because it goes both ways. It go, you can push, you can pull. And the way these work, okay, is you've got this blade, and again, it goes both, it wiggles like this, and there's a reason for that. When you're pulling, it goes like that, okay? And that puts the angle of the blade down. So it pulls down into the soil, that way it doesn't just skip and glance over the surface. If this was a fixed blade, it would be much, much, much harder to use. Okay. So the idea with this is that you're working within about the first top inch or so of soil. Okay. And what this is going to do is it's going to go under your weeds and cut the root. All right. And if you cut the root, now, uh, let's imagine a little baby plant here. You've got the root going down, and then out the top, you've got what we call the, the canopy. This is the crown. And that little spot where the root meets the growth, sometimes that's referred to as the, the crown or one of the first terminal nodes, one of the first growth nodes or growth point. Um, plants operate based on the sending of hormones and signals within the plant, and that actually signals the cells what type of plant cell they need to be, right? So at that point is where you have a high concentration of particular hormones that tell the plant cells to stop being roots and start being plant, okay? And that's also where a lot of those growth hormones are produced is at that crown, okay? Um, later on in the plant's life, depending on what kind of plant it is, the root can produce that, and, uh, and send it further up. But at early stages in the plant's life, if you cut underneath that point, the plant is dead. It will not grow back. Okay? Um, now, dandelions, that's one of those ones, right? Anything that, like, uh, those wild parsnips or things that have, like, a, a really fibrous, woody, deep, solid taproot, they can produce that growth hormone, growth hormone in the root and grow back, okay? Um, and, but early on in their development, they cannot. So if you catch them early, and this is going to be a theme of anything I'm going to tell you here, 
the earlier the better. How many of you would rather go in and clean a messy house versus keep a clean house clean? Okay. A few dishes in the sink every day versus a huge pile of dishes on the counter once a week. Okay. It all accomplishes the same end, except when you're talking about weeds. Let's just imagine if you left a dish there for a day, it, it doubled. It, there was just another one just appeared on top of it the next day, which means the next day, there's four. And the next day, there's eight. Now leave that pile of dishes on the counter for a week. And tell me you want to just wait. I'll wait. Okay. All right. That's what we're talking about with weeds. So this is a stirrupo. It's, if I were to recommend you, I, I normally don't like to recommend people to go buy anything. I want you to be able to work with what you have. Okay, if you've got a good pair of gloves and you don't mind getting on your hands and knees and you have a small garden, yeah, pull the weeds. Okay, but if, if you're going to invest in one tool for weeding, one of these, Stirrupo. I weed, I weed two acres of field crops with this, sweet corn and melons, sweet corn, melons, and squash. I weed two acres with one of these. Okay, so you can do large areas but it is extremely effective in small areas. You want to get one probably about a four inch is a good size. It'll fit between most of your crops and it covers some territory if you're talking a small, small space. If you've got a large field, that's where you're going to look at these seven and potentially even 10 inch. And having an assortment of sizes is great, but I don't want, to, I don't want you to feel like you have to go buy hundreds of dollars of stuff. Okay, a good hoop hoe is going to cost you about 50 to $60, a good one. You can get a cheap one from Home Depot for about $30, and it will work just as well. I put those in my, the $30 ones at Home Depot. I hand them to my students all the time, and that's what we use. I use something like this, personally, because it's more robust, it works better, and I know I'm not going to break it. <laughs> okay. Um, okay, Johnny's Seeds is a great place. And there are a host of other amazing websites that I could tell you about. But if you're already shopping at Johnny's, just add this to your cart. You might pay a little shipping surcharge, but you're not going to get free shipping on one of these anywhere else. So you might as well just take the shipping and get you one of these. Okay, if you're already shopping at Johnny's. If you, already, if you save your seeds and you don't buy seeds and you don't shop at Johnny's or anything like that, you know, there's a great website called NeverSync. N-E-V-E-R-S-I-N-K, one word, never sink. They make fantastic tools. Um, I buy a lot of my tools from them, a lot of supplies from them, seed starting trays and things. They make great products. Um, another place, Modern Grower, uh, spelled exactly like it sounds, Modern Grower. They have great supplies. And, um, oh man. Bootstrap, Farmer's Friend. Farmer's Friend doesn't sell hose, though. They don't sell stirrup hose. But Farmer's Friend, in fact, I, I'm, we're going to get to them in a second, too, on another thing. Okay, so uh, moving on, though. I need, to, I need to honor your time here. This is the next type of hoe that I would recommend. This is called a collinear hoe. Uh, the reason they call it collinear is because um, the... 
where you're weeding is directly in line. It's, it's, it's collinear with the handle. Okay, so very subtle difference, but you'll see how the difference, difference becomes very apparent after you've used it or you see somebody using it. This one, I am pushing and pulling. You notice the, 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 the place that I'm weeding, I'm, I'm moving above it horizontally, right? And you see how the handle is moving in the same orientation back and forth, okay? That is going to be the same thing you can do with a collinear hoe, but the difference is instead of weeding a space out in front of me, with the collinear hoe, I'm going to be weeding the space immediately underneath the hoe. This is actually even easier than this one because with that one, with, this, with the stirrup hoe, you need to prop, uh, practice good body mechanics, technique, things that I don't do <laughs> when I'm out weeding because you just get tired. Straight back, bend at the hip, right? Because you need to lean. You're not crouching, but you need to lean. And bending at the hips, this gives you power, strength, stamina to continue doing this for some length of time without injuring your back. Okay, you start doing one of these things, all of a sudden your back's gonna get it real sore, okay? When you're using this, I can weed right underneath me. I can stand up straight, and if you, you're not uh, crazy tall, which they do make extended handles, or you, know, you can um, extend the handle yourself, there's fun ways to do that. If you're not extremely tall, I'm standing, I'm not bending at all, and I'm weeding, okay? The way these work, and you have a lot of control with these because of the way that you hold it with this thumbs up grip, okay? I can just move along the bed here, and you notice I'm not bending over at all. So this is one of the advantages to a collinear hoe, okay? The other advantage to a collinear hoe is I can get underneath crops. So you'll notice the video I'm gonna show you you can weed around lettuce and get underneath crops. You can get underneath drip hose, okay? Now, one of the things you need to be careful with is you can get right up underneath that lettuce and you can actually cut the lettuce off <laughs> without realizing it, okay? And by the way, uh, woo, hose, garden hose, these tools are non-selective plant killers. You know what I mean by that? They will kill your garden plants just as quick and easy as they kill your weeds. So uh, user, uh, user beware, okay? So this is what a collinear hoe looks like. Uh, they're extremely useful, and if, if, if zero bending is uh, desirable to you at all, this is the one I would recommend. And uh, to get a quality um, collinear hoe is uh, probably about the same price as getting a good quality stirrup hoe. So... Uh, See if this video starts in the correct place. So you notice this guy's weeding lettuce. Okay. So, and it does, it does cut in both directions, um, but it does, uh, neither of these will cut going sideways. Okay. So it only cuts perpendicular to the blade, the direction perpendicular to the blade. Now this is a really cool thing. Um, if you did want to spring for some really high-end equipment, if that's on your radar, Okay, this has changeable heads to talk about our next type 
of, of weeder. Okay, this is a wire weeder. Wire weeders are exactly what they sound like. They're made out of wire, usually a triangle shape, but I'll show you a couple other shapes. And you notice how narrow this one is? I can get between some pretty close plants with this, okay? And a wire weeder is gonna work the same way uh, a collinear hoe does, okay? I can be completely standing. I don't have to do any bending. Thumbs up, grip, and I can weed. Now, these will only work in the pulling direction. These, these pushing with one of these is a bad idea, but they work really well pulling. Some advantages to these. There's nothing sharp here. Even with a collinear hoe, it's easy to accidentally cut drip hose. This is very safe to use working around drip hose. Okay? This will not kill established plants. Okay? Unless you have like super loose soil um, and you do something really crazy with it, this will not kill established plants. So if you have, um, man, time's flying. If you have uh, established lettuce or spinach or something, this is not going to kill it if it's well established. Okay, so you can get right up next to that stuff. But this does, the disadvantage to this is that it only really works on weeds that are what we call the thread stage. Okay, so the weeds need to be very small. What's like, small? it's a wire weeder. Wire. wire weeder. Wire weeder. Okay, um, I think this will be the last video that I show because they're just taking time. But so you can see one of these in action. Um, oh, this guy talks way too long. They were supposed to, I had a timestamp in, built into the, the link that I did, but it, so essentially what you're going to do with one of these, you need to have fairly loose soil. You can't use this in really packed, you know, dense, heavy soil. Um, and you don't want to use it when the soil's like really sopping wet. So finding, in experience, that's going to be the case with almost any tool that you're going to use in your garden, right? If the soil's super, super wet, uh, any tool you use is just going to make a mess, Okay. So having good soil texture and having a good uh, moisture level um, at the surface is going to be really important with how you use this tool. But essentially, again, you're gonna be going just under the surface. As with all of these, you're gonna be going just under the surface and um, any little thread type weeds are gonna get caught on this and pulled and dislodged. They may not cut, like sometimes when I go down to bed with one of these, I'll just have like, it looks like I wrapped this or something. There's a bunch of little weeds hanging on here and I just pull them off and throw them down. But even if they don't actually come out of the soil, when they're that small, if you just disturb them and, and dislodge them from the soil, they're dead. Okay. Assuming, assuming you do not immediately water after you weed. Okay. So something to keep in mind, you do some of this, this cultivation style of weeding, which I'm going to talk about here in a second, what I mean by that you just dislodge the weed, you need to give them a good couple hours to, to dry out, or what we would call, we need, you need to let it desiccate. That's the fancy farmer term, term for it. You need to let them desiccate, okay? It means dry out. If you dislodge them and then immediately water them, all you did was transplant. Okay, here's a couple other styles of wire weeders. You can see they get large, larger and they go up to seven inches that I've found. Um, and this one's pretty cool because if you turn it, you can see there's a little one inch wire weeder. So this one's a four inch combined with a one inch. So I can, as I'm weeding with this, I'm doing four inches at a time, you know, going between my rows. 
And if I see something in between plants that are really tight, I can just turn it, get that, keep going. Okay. Here's one that's really, really cool. I can go down two, but when my uh, lettuce heads are, are still fit between this or when my spinach plants still fit between this or carrots are starting to make good tops here, I can go down the row, right? And I'm not killing my plants, but I'm dislodging the, the, the thread stage weeds that are immediately underneath that canopy that would otherwise be very difficult to reach. Uh, and especially you say, oh, well, I'll just use my collinear hoe. Well, you might kill your lettuce. You know, it just depends on how good you are with your collinear hoe, right? So that's uh, really cool. This is what they call a torsion weeder. It's a wire weeder, but they'll call this one specifically a torsion style or a torsion weeder, torsion style wire weeder or something like that. Torsion is usually, uh, I've even, I've seen it called a spring weeder as well. Okay, this is a wheel hoe. This, uh, you can put all kinds of different attachments on these, but you're most commonly going to see them with some form of a stirrup hoe. Um, and with these, the stirrup hose, that's where you're going to see your 10 inch stirrup hose most of the time and, and even up to 12, 12 inches wide. So this will weed a 12 inch wide swath. So if you've got paths that you're trying to keep weeded, you got like a, like a, you know, however far of a path between your, your beds or something, and you want to keep it weeded, uh, a wheel hose is a really great option for that. You can see you operate it from a standing position and and because it's got a stirrup hoe It has that same push-pull motion Okay, um, but the Being on a on a the frame that it is with the wheel and everything um, You can get a lot of power so you can really work in a lot more packed soil So like pathways or something or if you're trying to do a large area and and save your back a little bit of work You can you know practice your upper body strength and really get the push pull you know having good again proper body mechanics you want to you know bend your knees a little and have a good pushing pulling sort of motion to it they work really well when you pull um, but the the pushing motion works really really well as well these are fairly expensive so unless you have you know if you're calling yourself a home gardener but you're farming you're you're basically like hobby farming you got like a quarter acre or something and a bunch of beds and pathways. This is probably not something you need to invest in. But if you like your toys, uh, these, are, these are great. Okay, we're going to skip him. Okay, let's talk about something really quick. This is a really important thing, and then I'm going to have to fly through everything else. Cultivation versus weeding. Cultivating is... Oh, here we go. I do have it. Cultivating. Loosening and aerating the soil at a shallow depth. Okay, that's my definition. That's my farmer definition of cultivation. Okay, that can be accomplished with one of these. I'm working through the bed about an inch or so, less than an inch under the surface of the soil. So I am cultivating, right? I'm going over the entire surface of the bed with this, or at least breaking up anything that's, that's, that's exceptionally packed. That is cultivating. Now you can see if I were to cultivate the entire bed, as long as the weeds are not exceptionally large, I'm also managing the weeds in that area. Notice I said managing the weeds. I'm not weeding. I'm cultivating. Okay. Let's talk about weeding. Weeding is removing established 
weeds. So going out and pulling weeds, that is weeding. If you have weeds that are large and you take something like a stirrupo like that and it takes some effort to pull it out, that is weeding. That is not cultivating. In a perfect world, which we don't live in, but if you're going to idealize things, cultivation is what you want to try to do. Okay? Cultivation is the goal. We're cultivating, not weeding. Try to avoid weeding. It's like keeping a clean house clean versus picking up a messy house. The goal, the ideal, is cultivation. Now, are weeds going to grow and get established and you have to, like, remove them? Yeah, absolutely. Okay? But to the extent that you're able to, try to cultivate rather than weed. Probably want to keep it on, like, a once-a-week thing. Just make it once-a-week thing. Go out and cultivate the garden. Done. You do that once a week, you will not have weeds that are worth mentioning. In fact, you'll be like, oh, look, one got by me. Look how big that is. Wow, look. And that's where, like... Who's, who's excited to point out a huge weed in their garden, right? But if, you, if, you, if it's the exception and not the rule, all of a sudden you find yourself going, oh, wow, how'd that get by me? Wow, that's big. Look how fast that thing grows, right? Versus saying, oh, another one, okay? Okay, chemical. Nobody likes this word, but we need to talk about it. Chemical is simply saying the use of any chemical agent to kill weeds. That's all we're talking about. It does not have to be... Monsanto, okay? It can be 20 or 30% vinegar or OMRI-listed herbicides. In these concentrations, vinegar is considered a strong acid. Wear personal protective equipment, okay? Gloves, glasses. Um, If you're buying the jug of 30% vinegar from the hardware store, it will tell you precautions to take when using it. Follow the label, okay? Here's a couple examples. You've got 30% vinegar. You can find that Home Depot, Lowe's, whatever hardware store. You should be able to find that. Okay? You spray that on a plant, any plant, any plant tissue that that touches is going to die. Okay? Now, if you're talking about established weeds like Morning Glory, it will come back. But if you cut it, it will come back with six shoots. If you spray it, it will come back with one shoot that it had to send up again all the way from the root. And then you spray it, and it will do it again. And then you spray it, and it will do it again. And then you spray it, and you do it again. And you keep that up consistently for some length of time, and eventually that root is going to run out of gas. And it will not be able to continue sustaining that. Okay, But this is non-selective. If you spray it on your pole beans... It'll kill that tissue. And if your plant is not strong enough to survive that, if your plants are very young, not very established, you will also kill your plants. Okay? Something else to keep in mind about vinegar. This will lower the pH of the soil that it comes in contact with. Minimal use is ideal. And to the the extent that you're able, I would advise not even using it. But if you have established plants that that are not advisable to kill through mechanical means, Vinegar is an option that you have. And in my case, soil pH is not a problem. Okay? In my case, I could dump vinegar all over the soil, and it would only help. Okay? We have extremely alkaline soil in my situation. So if that's your case case and you're worried about soil pH, don't worry about it. Vinegar is going to help you. 
this one, Weed Zap, this is made with clove oil and cinnamon oil. It is non-selective, and again, it burns the plant tissue that it immediately touches. It operates in the same way, but if you're in a farming situation, you have to use something like this. You can't use vinegar because it's not listed with the right, you know, Organic Materials Registry Institute, all that. Okay, so if you want to use an actual herbicide that's, that's organic and registered, that's an option for you. And there's others. You just look it up. OMRI listed herbicide. Do you have a question? Does weed zap mess up your pH? Uh, okay, he asked if weed zap messes up your pH. No, and that is the advantage to that versus something like vinegar. This will not mess up your pH. Now, like anything, the more you, the more you are doing to bring in foreign things into a system, you do run the risk of altering soil biology, soil chemistry, things like that. So weed zap is going to be something that in the immediate area that it is used can negatively impact your soil for a short time. Okay, but not to the same extent that, you know, lab created glyphosate stuff will. Okay. Uh, preventative weed management. This are any measures that are taken to prevent the spread and establishment of weeds. This is a weed management strategy. Okay. So, like buying and using clean seed, not importing weeds <laughs> with your garden seed is considered a preventative weed management, weed management strategy. Keeping your tools and equipment clean. Okay, so if you go weed one part of the garden and your, your hoe has a bunch of weeds wrapped around it and you go weed another part of the garden and you didn't realize you had a morning glory shoot on your hoe, you could have potentially just moved morning glory, and this applies more to tillers than hoes. It's pretty easy to see if you have something on your stirrup hoe. But um, yeah, keeping your tools and equipment clean. That's a preventative weed management strategy. Using weed barriers like the black woven fabric. That's a weed management strategy. Mulch, preventative weed management strategy. You have a lot of options for mulch. You've got grass, you've got wood chips, you've got pine needles. Um, whatever you do, make sure you're aware of how it's going to affect your soil. Okay, and that's, uh, that's outside of the scope to talk about everything in this class. Yes, pine needles can uh, lower your pH. Some people want that, some people don't. Be aware of that. When you immediately put wood chips, if you took fresh wood chips and you put it straight on your garden, it's going to actually leach nitrogen out of your soil. Okay, so there's considerations for any organic mulch you're going to use. Be aware of them. They help prevent weeds. And in your case, in a gar home gardening case, this is a very practical, very good way to manage weeds. Okay, this is where you can get to a situation where you might not even have much weeding to do to begin with. And you don't have to go out and cultivate this. In fact, you don't want to cultivate this. This is beneficial for your soil in many ways. Promotes soil biology, organic material, earthworms, all that stuff that comes along with organic mulches. This is one of the best options you can choose if preventative weed management is a strategy you want to follow. Okay? Uh, can't say enough good things about organic mulch. It is not practical to mulch two acres. That's why you don't see farmers doing it. We don't do it because we don't like mulch. We don't do it because it's very hard to mulch a huge area. But if you have a few raised beds and it's within the means and ability for you to acquire a dump truck load of wood chips, hey man, cover that thing. But probably let it compost most for a little bit first. But yeah, cover that thing. 
good six inches of wood chips, man, like have at it. That is a great, great, great option for you. Okay. This is more like what I'm going to do. This is the weed barrier fabric. Okay. Weeds don't grow through it very easily. They can eventually. And if you leave it on the ground for a long time and it starts to get a little layer of soil in it and then a dandelion blows in and lands on that little layer of soil, you'd be surprised how easy it's going to grow right through it. Okay. So this does require some maintenance. And any little hole, a weed can find its way through. Around these plants, you're still going to have to remove weeds, but now you have to do it with the old-fashioned way, hands on your hands and knees with your fingers, because I can't go around there with a wire weeder or a hoop hoe or anything. Okay, But this is a good strategy if it's something that interests you. Cultural weed management. And I am, we are running out of time, so um, I'm going to honor my agreement to take uh, questions. This is one of the last. We're just going to blaze through the, the rest of it. Just cultural weed management is maintaining field conditions in such a way that weeds are less likely to become established. Okay. This can be done through crop spacing, soil fertility, the use of cover crops, and something we call a living mulch. Okay. Let's talk about soil fertility really quick. You ever heard, oh, uh, dandelions mean you don't have enough calcium. Okay. That type of stuff is true. Getting a good soil test done and making sure your soil nutrients are in good balance is one way to prevent the growth of weeds. Will that completely eliminate your, your weeds? Absolutely not. Okay, You will still have weeds because a weed is just a plant that's in the wrong place. You will just have less obnoxious weeds. <laughs> okay, And uh, my experience, nothing's going to get rid of uh, nightshade morning glory. Okay, they, you can reduce the, one of the things is they thrive in the environment that's there. That's one of the reasons they're, they're there. Okay, so let's talk, there's really quick, quick digression. When you go and clear an area of land, all the things that grow are the weeds you don't like. Nature has a remedial process. God built nature to take, to tend to itself. People are like, oh, nobody, nobody waters the forest. It's because that's a system God designed that is, remediates itself. If a huge area of land gets cleared, vigorous, fast-growing, competitive weeds, plants, are going to fill that area in, cover the soil as quickly as possible. Now those plants grow and go through growth cycles, living and dying, living and dying, living and dying, adding organic material to the soil, and eventually soil conditions become such that those plants are no longer capable of thriving and new plants, more desirable plants that can thrive in that environment do eventually grow. And over the course of time, you would never know anything happened there. It's just a beautiful forest. Okay? So those plants thrive in those environments for a reason. Right? Open, disturbed soil, great place for some of the most vigorous and fast-growing weeds that we don't like because that's part of nature's remedial process. Okay? So that's why they're there. But what we can do is crop spacing. So notice this picture here. We have beans. You look back here in this, this row, you've got some younger beans, okay? So over here on the sides of these rows, you need to mechanically cultivate and manage the weeds in that area. You notice in the foreground here, these are rows of the same crop that have grown and done what we call it closed the canopy. Between these, you are very unlikely to have to weed because 
weeds can't really establish in that place. Okay, so crop spacing is a method of weed management, cultural weed management. Once they get to a certain size and close the canopy, mechanical weed management no longer becomes necessary. This is a living mulch, an example of a living mulch. You're growing cabbage and using a short-growing, non-vigorous grass, which depending on where you live, like if you ask me what kind of grass, I cannot tell you because it really depends on where you live. You want to find a grass that doesn't, that is not super vigorous and competitive in your climate and soil conditions. That will take some research on your part. Because I, what, what's going to work for me is absolutely not going to work in Tennessee. Okay, I live in Arizona. Most grass doesn't grow very well. Okay, so it's super easy. You just throw some Bermuda grass down, done. Right? But in Tennessee, Bermuda grass, woo, get that stuff out of here. Okay. All right. All right, biological. This is not something you're going to find very often. If let's say you had um, an area where you wanted grass to be growing, like for forage, you know, you have some, some cows or something, uh, horses that, that like grass, and you want to try to manage like broadleaf weeds, right? Um, you stick some sheep or goats in that pasture, they're not going to eat as much grass, they're going to go for the broadleafs. That's, that's a biological weed control. They're, they are selective. Okay, so find biological is, oh, uh, the use of a natural enemies to control a weed population. Okay, not many of those for a home garden, but if you do find one, let me know. Okay, so using sheep in a pasture to control broadleafs. Okay, fire, this doesn't fit into any category. Using heat from the burning of propane fuel or some other kind of fuel to kill weeds. It's going to look something like this, okay? These are our, our weed management. This is, uh, this is the one that made, made by Farmer's Friend. This one is made by NeverSync, um, and those are for weeding larger areas. Uh, and what you're trying to do, notice the weeds that he's killing here are not large, okay? And you're also not trying to burn them to a crisp. You're not, you're not burning the plant material and trying to remove it in that way. What you're doing is applying high heat for a controlled period of time to the plant itself. And what you're going to do is the, the plant cells themselves, you boil the water inside the plant cell and the cell ruptures. That is all you want to do. You know, when you put, uh, put some greens, let's say you put some collard greens in the steamer, put some broccoli in the steamer. You know when the color just starts to turn vibrant? At that point is when you've begun rupturing plant cells, okay? So as soon as the color turns vibrant, gets darker and wilts on that plant, you've ruptured plant cells, done. It is dead, guaranteed. That plant cannot grow back from that if it's very small, okay? If it's larger, it may not grow back from that. You can use flame weeders to, to weed things like driveways and paths, okay? This is a viable method of weed control. Um, again, non-selective. And heat is much harder to control where that exact boundary is. So you can't really get up and weed right next to established plants. This is going to be for something like if you want to plant carrots, you would plant the carrot seed, water it in, wait about a week because carrots take about two weeks to germinate. Wait about a week. The carrot seeds are still safely under the soil. You take a flame weeder and carefully go through and flame all the weed seeds that germinated over the course of that week while you're keeping the carrots moist because you have to keep them moist. All that water is germinating weed seeds. You go through and flame weed it before the carrots have actually emerged. They're safely under an insulating layer of soil. Layers, soil is a great insulator. So they're safely under an insulating layer of soil. 
you're not going to kill the carrots. What you will kill is all the little weeds that you cannot see. They're thread stage. They're tiny. They're just starting to emerge. You go through inflame weed, you kill them. Carrots come up about, you know, a week or so later in a weed-free, non-competitive environment. You can also use this to, uh, st- uh, to make a bed stale, is what we would call it, to sow into plant lettuce or other small seed that, that sprouts a little faster into what we call a stale weed bed. So prepare your soil, water it, get everything nice and wet, germinate all those weed seeds, let them come up, flame weed. Plant your, plant your lettuce. It'll grow in a weed-free, non-competitive environment to begin with. And that's, at that point is when you begin your mechanical cultivation. Once your seeds have emerged. Okay, so that's one way that you can use flame weeding. They're not cheap. I like my toys. They absolutely apply in a market gardening situation. If your garden's not that large, this may not be a route you want to explore because, you know, they can be several hundred dollars. Okay, but they are worth it if it's worth it to you in terms of time and expenditure of funds. Okay, so I went five minutes over, but uh, you're all still here, so <laughs> great. I apologize if you need to take off. If you had some questions, feel free to find me later. In the meantime, I will take questions. We do have a good um, 20 minutes or so before you need to be at your next class, but I don't want to keep you beyond that. So I'm going to start with, uh, I'm just going to move from right to left here. Okay, so yes. Yeah, so the, the question was, what's the best way to remove established weeds if, if it's mulched, right? So in the case of an organic mulch, usually you'll find that they come out very easily by hand. Okay, now if you have a situation where you use wood chips, for example, and there's just a lot of weeds, like lots, Okay, you have some options, but they're fairly limited now because once you have a wood chip mulch in place, a stirrup hoe is a little more difficult to use. So unfortunately, mulch requires maintenance. And if you don't maintain that weed-free environment, um, you will quickly discover that the weeds, they don't not grow. They just grow slower and start out easier to manage. And then once you get past a tipping point where the weeds really establish that mulch, all the things it was doing for your plants, conserving soil moisture, adding all that good stuff that your plants love, guess who else loves it? Your weeds, okay? So unfortunately, your options are extremely limited. Hand removal is about the only thing you can do if you're trying to save the plants that are there. If you're trying to save your plants that are there. If, yeah, so if you're talking about perennials, yeah, if you're talking about perennials, if they can, if they can take getting mowed and then come back, one option you would have would be to mow everything and then mulch back over it, depending on the weeds that are there. If they're annual weeds, then mowing and remulching is good. If they're perennial weeds that are vigorous and come back, then you, you don't have any option but to remove them, okay, unfortunately. 
Chemical weed, yeah, chemical options would be something, and flame weeding would be something you could explore at that point as well. Yes, yes, so that's correct. And the reason for that, okay, so what she said, if you're using vinegar, she's heard that a little bit of Dawn dish soap will help. The reason for that is because it makes it stick to the plant. Okay, a lot of plants have like a waxy coating or an oil that they have on the leaves that when water hits it, it, it beads up and rolls off. If you hit, hit it with a little bit of soap in that water, it, it actually sticks to that waxy coating. So it makes it more effective. So that's the reason for that. Uh, yes? Uh-huh. Johnny's would be your, your really your best place. Never sink, Johnny's, modern grower. And I don't know how many tools they have either, to be honest. Okay, continue moving this way. Yes, absolutely. So the question was, would vinegar be a good option for driveways with lots of dandelions? The answer is absolutely yes. Yes, so the black, the, is, is the black weed fabric uh, reusable? 100%, yes it is. Um, in most cases, it will last uh, five years or more, depending on how well you take care of it. If you're reusing it on tomato beds, generally you should be uh, okay as far as the transfer of any viruses or anything like that because it's not actually in the soil. It's, it's contacting the upper surface of the soil. Um, now the, the caveat would be you're rotating, right? So you're gonna be lifting that and moving it. So just that process alone, it's not an environment where those bacteria and everything are gonna continue to thrive through the winter. Um, but that being said, if you are concerned, it spray it with vinegar. Just put vinegar spray or spray it down, flip it over, spray it down the other side um, before you store it, before storage, not after. Yes? Great, great question. Okay, so if, if you're, when you're weeding, you know, you, 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 you know let's say you're going down a, a, a bed, right, and you're pulling weeds out and putting them like in a bucket or something, and you've got, now what do you do with that, right? Is that your question? Or if you leave them on the ground? Okay, so... In almost every case, those weeds, just leave them. They, they no longer have access to water. Their roots are no longer in the soil. Um, if you just leave them, they will die. But not, not all weeds will die in that case. So it's, it's helpful to know what kind of weeds you're talking about. A lot of like crabgrass, it, it, if it just looks at a drop of water, it's going to reestablish. Okay. So having a pile of weeds there with crabgrass mixed in, you just gave it mulch, okay? So you need to know what type of weed it is and have a fairly good understanding of whether or not it's going to reestablish. If in doubt, get it out. Take it out of the garden, okay? Having a bucket full of those weeds, do you have a burn pile somewhere on your property or have some way to to burn your, your organic waste? Dump it there, okay? Especially any weed that has a flower, even a flower, or is just starting to bolt and go to seed, one of the last things a plant will do, right? Flowering is a response of plants to some form of stress. It's their last ditch effort to make seed before they die. So when you pull it out of the ground, if that seed is even starting to make, or if that plant is even starting to make a stalk and make flowers, it's going to use every last little bit of moisture and energy and, and nutrients that's in any little piece of plant tissue force it all up to that flower to make a seed. You'd be surprised. You pull a weed out of the ground. Ah, oh, it doesn't have it. It's just got flowers. That thing's going to make a seed. It'll ma- if it can make one viable seed, it will. Yes, did you have a question? I, I'm not familiar with Johnson grass. Putting plastic, just black 
flag. Yes. Oh, over that man, that is one that I did not even talk to you about. Okay, covering with uh, what we call silage tarp. Okay, green, black greenhouse plastic, or black, uh, black and white greenhouse plastic. Trash bags will do it. Cover, putting um, putting an a, a pla- a, a, a impermeable, okay? It needs to be, you know, the, the extruded, the, um, not extruded, um, the film style plastic, okay? Fairly thick, ideally, so it becomes reusable. If you lay that out over, I don't care what it is, it's going to die, okay? And now, morning glories, if you, morning, it won't work for that. But it will work for um, crabgrass, generally speaking. I don't know about Johnson grass, but it'll work for that. Yeah, Bermuda grass, it will kill it. But you need to leave it there long enough. That's the key. It, it depends on the weed. Because what you can do is you can, you can it, it like feels like it overwintered, right? So this, the plant's like, oh, well, that was, a, that was a weird winter. All right, let's grow back, right? Versus leaving it there long enough that the plant's like, uh, I'm running out of gas, and then it eventually dies. There's always a risk of that with anything because the, the, the biology is in a symbiotic relationship with the plants of the soil. So once you kill the plants, the biology is affected. Uh, whether you do something like, you know, the use of excessive vinegar or one of those clove oil, whatever, Anything you do is disturb, when you pull the roots out, you disturb that soil, you oxygenate it, you oxidize and affect the soil biology. So anything you do to manage established weeds is going to affect the biology, yes. So covering it like that, yes, you will affect the biology. But you'd be surprised how fast it comes back once you have desirable plants and you allow that ecosystem to rebalance. Okay, yes, let's close. I... um, Next class is coming in. We got a couple minutes. Uh, thank you for coming. Let's close the prayer. So, Father in heaven, thank you so much for the opportunity again to be here. Thank you for everything you're trying to teach us in the garden, and thank you for the fellowship we get to experience at this conference. I ask for you to continue to guide each of us as we seek to follow you in country living. And thank you for hearing us in Jesus' name. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse a website dedicated to spreading God's Word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.